So we have uh, four pastors. We have four, we use elders as well. That's one of the biblical words that we use for uh, the men who oversee uh, this church. We had an elder retreat this week. We got to go away for a few days, pray, plan, uh, and then come back. And it's reminded me of the things that we oversee and that, and that actually be helpful for you to know uh, who our different elders are and what they oversee. We have four elders who oversee four different uh, sets of areas. Raz Bradley is one of our elders. He's the one with the Australian accent. He oversees basically everything hospitality. So that's uh, connect, that's events, that's our host team on Sunday mornings. Chet Phillips is one of our elders. He oversees community groups and basically anything that has to do with, with operations, executive leadership, uh, all the things that kind of make our uh, week go well. Uh, Matt Freeman, who is just leading worship, uh, he oversees worship, basically anything that happens in this room on a Sunday morning, and he also oversees communications. Uh, and then I oversee uh, teaching is one of the things that I oversee. Uh, I oversee uh, missions, so our efforts in, uh, with the connection with the Rockies in Honduras and uh, our connections in Egypt. I oversee spiritual formation, which is kind of our, our attempt to grow in knowing more of Christ together. It's some of the things we're doing like training weekend. Uh, and then I also oversee counseling and care. So that's one of the things that I oversee. And in counseling and care, I get to have a front row seat to watching Jesus heal people. And it is awesome. I love being involved with an overseeing counseling and care. I get to see uh, people that, that are struggling. Uh, like, like I, I get to walk with someone who has been wrestling uh, with pornography for over a decade, and they are feeling hopeless. And as we walk together, I get to see Jesus start to change their affections that they would no longer be uh, enslaved to sin, but they would behold Christ so much in his glory and his goodness that they would say, no, I don't want this anymore. I get to have a front row seat to watching Jesus heal people, and it's incredible. I love it. I also have a front row seat to seeing people who are in pain, uh, to seeing people who are struggling, to see people who are wrestling to sin and brokenness. I mean, there is a reason, y'all, why there are a thousand different ways to distract yourselves, right? You, you can distract yourself from reality on a thousand different ways. The, our culture offers so many things to escape reality. There's a reason why there's so many different substances that you can enjoy that will numb the pain of life because life is hard. It is incredibly difficult. And when I talk to people, they're in the midst of, of a sea of emotion and frustration and pain because they have sin and brokenness that they're struggling with, and they can't pinpoint why. Sometimes it's anxiety. They're so overwhelmed with anxiety, they can't begin to even pinpoint what causes it, what deepens it. Sometimes it's depression. And those who struggle with depression, even gathering the energy to begin to articulate how they feel when they are depressed is hard enough. Sometimes it's addiction to substances, to pornography, and the shame that comes with addiction. Sometimes it's a cycle of cruel communication and inability to resolve conflict and marriage that leaves couples at the end of the rope. There are a lot of different reasons uh, for why I meet with people in our church family, but there's one common thread that you can stream uh, throughout each of them, is that there largely is an inability to understand our current struggles in light of our bigger story. 
as a difficulty in understanding our sin and our brokenness in light of our story. So we are doing a four-week series where we're introducing this idea of soul care. And in this uh, week, what we're going to tackle is understanding our brokenness and our sin in light of our story. Soul care is exactly what it sounds like. It is caring for your soul and addressing the sin and brokenness that is within us. That is what we're going to be doing over the next four weeks. But it's very difficult to do this if we don't have a bigger picture on what's going on. And we don't have a, a zoomed out picture of what's going on in our souls. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, where we, we, we talk a lot about the heart and we will get to that a little bit this morning. But more next week. But largely what we want to tackle is zooming out and understanding ourselves in light of our greater story. We're going to be a little bit in Psalm 139 and different places of Psalm 139 today. As we see a psalm that David wrote that kind of is this, this heart exposure before the Lord. And my hope for today and the next four weeks is that we would take steps towards healing. That we would see that we have a good shepherd in Christ who wants to lead us to joy in him. That's the hope this morning. So let me pray, and then we'll jump in. Lord, we love you, and I thank you that you care for our souls, that you care about all the sin and brokenness that we brought into this room this morning. God, I pray you'd help us understand this better this week and over the next four weeks. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to get to our, our, our bigger story in a moment, but I want to lay some foundations for uh, soul care as we begin. At the core of understanding how to care for your soul is understanding our heart, all right? The Bible talks about this. This is, this is key to understanding how to care for your soul is understanding the heart. Now, that is uh, not the physical, literal organ of your heart. Okay? It's not what our culture reduces the heart down to, which is mostly just love and emotions. It, it, it's deeper than that. A biblical understanding of heart is your inner self. It is the core of who we are. Uh, the early church father, Basil of Caesarea, is quoted as saying that the heart is the internal court of the soul. The internal courtroom of the soul. The seat of judgment in your soul. It is where you determine what is uh, right and what is wrong. It is where you determine what is good from bad. It's where you determine what is beautiful and worth your pursuit and what is ugly and worth your disdain. Your heart is the core of who you are. So if our souls are, uh, immate- or if our souls are our immaterial self, right? So we have a body, but we also have a soul. If our souls are our immaterial selves that exist for eternity, your soul, if you have placed faith in Jesus, will one day be united with him in heaven for eternal fellowship. And if you have rejected Christ, it will be uh, suffer judgment in hell. If our souls are our immaterial selves, our heart is at the center of our souls. It, it is the judgment seat. It is what directs us ultimately towards worship. Our hearts direct us towards what we will worship, what we ultimately find to be good. So that, that's at the center of soul care is our heart. The central aspect is understanding what's happening in our hearts. Psalm 139 is bookended by this. If you read the whole, which we won't read all of Psalm 139 today, but I'd encourage you to read it when you go home today. But it starts with this and it ends with this idea. In verse 1 it says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. 
You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. Search me, verse 23, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. David is saying, you you know me. You know my heart. Down to the core of who I am, you know when I sit up, when I get down, you know my thoughts, you know my heart. Search me, expose me, help me see the the grievous ways in the inner court of my soul. Help me understand what's happening in here. He wants to know God and behold God for who he is, but he also wants to know himself to understand what's happening within his soul. John Calvin, at the beginning of the Institutes of Christian Religion, says that wisdom, true wisdom, consists in two things. Knowledge of God and knowledge of self. That we would know God, and hear this, not just know about God, all right? Not not just know things, we'd actually know Him personally. And as we know God and behold Him, we'd see ourselves for who we are in light of who God is, that we know our true selves in light of God. Over the past few years, I've been uh, uh, battling some chronic back pain and back issues. And a few months back, I went to a rheumatologist. And when I met with the rheumatologist, he has a theory on what type of possible degenerative back disease it might be. He said, we, you know, we'll probably, you'll know this more, it'll set in more about the time that you're 40, but what we can do is send you for an, for an MRI so we can see what's happening in your spine to see if this disease has begun its work. So he said, but I don't want you to just go anywhere. He said, I want you to go to a machine called a 3T machine. And I was like, awesome, where are they? He's like, there's not many of them. There's a few in the state, all right? But you have to track one down. You need to get uh, an MRI from this machine because this machine is so powerful it's going to give you the most accurate picture of what's happening in your spine. And, and that's, that's, what, that's what the Lord does for us. That as we're exposed to who God is and all of his power and all of his infinite knowledge and his infinite wisdom, as we're exposed to God, it gives us an accurate picture of the brokenness and the disease of sin that's happening in our soul. The psalmist is saying, David says, verse 4, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. He's like, you, you know, you're behind me, you're before me. You know all of this, Lord. Reveal what is broken within me. Thomas Merton, who's a, who's a Catholic monk in the 20th century, he said once, what we Gain, what, we, uh, what can we gain by sailing to the moon if we are not able to cross the abyss that separates us from ourselves? Is what, you, what can you gain by accomplishing all these things, by going to the moon? If you can't actually cross the abyss to actually know yourself, to know what's happening within you, we desperately need the Lord to help us cross that abyss, to help us know ourselves. Now, we make very clear what I'm not arguing out the gate as we walk through this. I am not saying that what the psalmist is saying here, what David is saying here, I'm not saying that he's advocating that we would know ourselves, search me so that I can be the best version of me possible. That's, that's not what he's arguing for. This isn't self-discovery for the sake of worshiping self. 
All right? Much of the self-help movement, uh, self-love movement, maybe you've heard self-care described on Facebook, much of the philosophical underlining of those movements is post-enlightenment, meaning after the enlightenment, we focused on ourselves. We rejected God and we said, look at humanity, look how great we are. Much of that is look and focus on yourself so that you can be a better version of yourself. And it's like, no. That's not what the psalmist, that's what the Bible is not arguing for you to focus on yourself. John Calvin is not saying that true wisdom is self-knowledge for the sake of self-worship. It's not for you to focus on yourself. The goal here is to focus on God. And as we focus on God, he reveals what's within us. So that we might rightly worship him. So that is the goal of knowing ourselves. All right, so if you've been following Jesus for a bit, many of you know some of your sin and your brokenness and even your idolatry, right? I know, I know the sin and brokenness. You don't have to tell me that I have a porn addiction. You don't have to tell me that I struggle with anger. You don't have to tell me that I'm riddled with anxiety or depression. I don't need a four-week series to tell me what I already know. What I want to explore is not what type of brokenness that you have, though I hope the Lord reveals some of the what. My hope is, is he reveals why. That, that's what we're getting at. That's the more complicated answer that we're searching for, it is that we would expose our hearts before the Lord. We would, we would, God would reveal what's happening in the inner court of our soul, but the reality is, is that it's, it's not the what sometimes that we need help with, it's the it's the why. And part of that is not just examining our heart, but examining really some complex layers around the heart that involve our story, that involve kind of who we are in light of who God is. Verse 3 says, You search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. It says, God, you know all my ways. My question for us is, do we? Are we acquainted with our ways? Are we acquainted with our story? That's what we're aiming for. I was, a few months back, was talking with, uh, with an individual. We're walking through some stuff. He gave me permission to share this, though I'm not going to share his name. And we're working through some of his, some of his sin and brokenness that he's trying to figure out. And we started to work through some of his story. And as we're working through his story, he started to, to talk a little bit about his upbringing. And he talked about his stepdad. And I was talking about his stepdad. He was, he was learn, we were, were talking about how, how some of the things he learned, some of the, the patterns that his stepdad modeled for him. And over the next few months, he started to make some connections. The, some of the ways he operates as a husband and as a father can be traced back to his relationship with his stepdad. Some of the things that his stepdad did or didn't do. And when he started to make some of those connections, it colored in the picture and it gave him more of a why to help him understand the heart issues that were within. That, that's the kind of stuff that we're going for. That's the kind of stuff that we're asking God to reveal in us. We need to see this kind of stuff. And I, guys, I see some version of that story over and over and over again in counseling and care. We, we, just, we, we, we don't uh, know ourselves well enough. We don't understand these complex layers of our story and how that affects our heart and how that affects how we operate, how it affects how we view God, how we view ourselves in light of who God is. 
We, we have an inability to understand our stories. So I want to introduce you to something that I use in counseling. Uh, it's, this is my, my attempt at showing how we get to the heart. And it's going to show up on the screen, hopefully, there. All right, so I know, first off, a couple things. I know you can't read that, all right? Uh, also, I made this. This is, my, uh, this is my graphic that I use for counseling. So if you look at that and go, oh, that needs some love in graphic design, and you're gifted in graphic design, come see me. Because I really want this to look better. And it would be helpful to have something that, uh, that is easier to explain. But i got a zoomed-in version a little bit that you can see, which is even... Uh, more beautiful. Uh, but I have, uh, what, I'm, what I'm trying to articulate and show here is that at the core of who we are is our heart. It's what I was just talking about. It's our view of God and our view of self in light of who God is. That's the core of who we are. So now, if you could just pinpoint what the problem is at your heart level, solve it and move on, then, I mean, we'd all be okay. But the reality is we have these complex layers that surround us in our story. And as, you, as I work through this, there's different aspects of who we are and how God uh, has made us in different parts of our story. There's a, there's a physical layer that we walk through, uh, a mental uh, layer. There's personality type. Uh, there's a behavioral uh, layer. There's, there's some family history. There's some relational history. There's some spiritual warfare that we work through. I work through these different layers, not in any order. That when I meet with people, I'm not saying, all right, we're going to do this next. We're going to do this next, all right? Also... There are other people that could parse this out differently, right? That, that, that you could break this out into finer subjects. You could, you could uh, hit different layers of who we are. This is just what I use as, as to help us see that our stories are complicated. How we, uh, how we tick uh, in light of who God is is complicated. So what I want to do this, story, uh, this morning is walk through some of these layers to help us see how complicated we are and how this actually helps us understand our heart in light of who God is first. So, let me go through this first layer. You can pull it down, Brandon, and go to the first layer that we're going to talk about. That is the physical layer. It's the physical layer. The reality is, is that our souls reside in physical bodies. And you need to understand that your physical body can affect your view of yourself and your view of God. We're not, we're not just disembodied souls. We have bodies. And I remember... Um, Years ago, my wife and I, we moved to Louisville, Kentucky for seminary. We moved up there. I thought that we were going to church plant uh, in, in Boston. And we spent one summer or one winter in Louisville, and that totally killed that. <laughs> uh, Louisville is about six hours uh, south of Canada. It is colder up there. Uh, the, there is less light up there. The winters are, dark, are darker. And we've come to find out my wife uh, suffers from seasonal affect depression. And during the wintertime, there is less sunlight. And when you have less sunlight, that can affect you. There's less vitamin D that you actually get. And some people struggle with this, with vitamin D deficiencies. And seasonal affect is somewhat connected to that. that that's a physical reality. Unless you understand that, unless you know yourself, you might not realize that that's a part of your reality. One of the things that I see often is that people who are prone to anxiety, all right, they, they, they have this, this persistent struggle with anxiety. One of the things that makes that so much worse, that is like gasoline on fire, is caffeine. It's coffee. And, 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 and I tell people who struggle with anxiety, 
that, that it's, this is a daily battle. That you probably should stop drinking coffee. All right? You probably should stop drinking caffeine. I, I'm, and I'm dead serious about it. I mean, the reality is, is it's gasoline on fire. For someone who struggles with anxiety and their thoughts are racing and racing and racing, you put caffeine on that, it amps it up even worse. And people, <laughs> and people who, who have stopped drinking coffee, who struggle with anxiety, have, have gotten some freedom. It doesn't solve the problem, but it's a part of, it's a part of the reality. So if you, if you drink lots of coffee, coffee and you're prone to anxiety, you should cut, start cutting back immediately. You, I mean, it's, listen, I know we're addicted. It's a drug, all right? I'm, not, I'm, I'm with you. But the reality is you've got to know yourself well enough to know that this is not good for your body. You've got to know that if you struggle with depression, that actually working out is good for you that exercising is good for you, that it releases endorphins into your body. If you struggle with depression, you need to start walking. You need to start running. You need to start doing things that are good for you. I, I mean, you're, you, you, should, you should probably, if you're struggling, one of the things, that, I had a counseling pastor who said this. He said, one of the things I do with people when I meet with them is that sometimes I just go and tell them, you need to go get a physical. You need to go see a, a doctor and, and, and let them test levels. And, and, and we need a more complete picture of who you are. We gotta understand that our bodies matter, and we gotta have help with this. One of the things that Matt Freeman uh, and I hold each other accountable to is that I, um, he knows I've got back problems, and one of the ways to help treat that is exercise and stretching. So he holds me accountable and asks me about this on a regular basis. And one of the things that I know about him is he has an unhealthy relationship with food historically, and he's just said, hey, listen, hold me accountable in this, that I might have a, a right reproach to food and exercise. We, we do this with one another because we care about this. We understand this. this is, we, we need this. We, are, we have physical bodies, and that's a part of understanding who you are and how God has made you in a fallen world. All right, the next layer that I walk through sometimes is the mental layer. Is the mental layer. Now, uh, this is probably one of the more debated layers out there, right, is mental health. I have been thankful that our culture and the American church has grown in awareness of mental health. Two decades ago, it was a taboo subject. Even before that, even more so. We didn't talk about these things. People ask, do, do mental disorders affect your view of God and view of self? Does it, does it affect you? Are they, are they real? And I would say absolutely yes. Absolutely there, there are things about the brain that are complex. There absolutely are mental disorders. Now what happens is that culture and the church are a pendulum swing. This is what happens. Martin Luther says the church is like a drunk man on a horse. He's on one side and he gets up and he falls off onto the other. This is what we do. So there's been this huge pendulum swing towards mental health and this celebration of mental health in a way that has been unhealthy at times. It says it's, a, it's, a, it's an immovable, unremovable label that you can't get rid of, that it defines exactly who you are. There are people that get really excited about the, the, the DSM-5, the uh, Diagnostic and Statistics Manual for Mental Disorders. It's basically the, the, the Bible for psychology. They're like, yes, the DSM, absolutely. And it's like, well, no, take it with a grain of salt. There are helpful disorders, that, that, you know, between schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, that absolutely are helpful to know. The DSM has a whole lot of terrible stuff in it, too. I mean, just to, if you really love the DSM, you need to know something. The DSM is made for insurance companies. It is made so insurance companies can have billing codes for disorders that they can cover. It is not inerrant, not even close. 
So there's been this pendulum swing towards absolutely embracing and celebrating mental health. And it's like, no, we need to have some sobriety and some wisdom in how we approach this, right? We need godly doctors and nurse practitioners and psychiatrists who can help. I mean, because the reality is, is that medicine can be incredibly helpful sometimes. For people who take SSRIs, selective uh, serotonin reuptake inhibitors, uh, Paxil, uh, Zoloft to take certain drugs, it can be very helpful. It can actually help with the physical side of depression and anxiety. But a lot of times, these scripts are thrown out without thinking about it. I mean, it's very easy to get that stuff, and it's very hard to manage it. If you talk to neuroscience who, neuroscientists who approach this, they, the ones who are, have the most humble approach understand we don't exactly know how all these drugs work. It is a very complicated science. So we need to have a sober approach to this, a humbling approach to this. And we need godly men and women in this field to be able to help navigate this. The last thing I'll say on the mental layer, I don't have a whole lot uh, of time to, 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 to spend on this, but there is a reality also in the mental layer that we have patterns of thoughts that absolutely can set us up for success or failure, right? I would encourage you that if you want to understand how the way you think and the way you approach things can affect your reality, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the sermon from two weeks ago. It, it was a sermon in Proverbs that Chet Phillips did. I think he did an unbelievable job in helping explain how our attitude and our approach and our thought patterns help inform how we operate. And that's a part of this that sometimes I walk through as well. The next layer that I walk through in counseling sometimes is personality type. It's your personality type. How you were made. You were made differently. It, there, there's something about you that's different from others. Psalm 139 says, uh, uh, 13 and 14 says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you from fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. I, I'm so thankful for passages like this. I, I mean, one of the, this, the ways this passage is, is helpful is it helps us see that God cares about the unborn, that in the womb he's knitting uh, children together who have souls. I'm thankful for that aspect for us that helps us fight for the unborn. But one of the things that we miss in this is that God has made us uh, fearfully and wonderfully made us and that we're uh, we're uniquely designed in his image. We all reflect a different aspect of the image of God beautifully. And that means that we have different personalities. So I encourage taking personality type tests, right? Those of you that, that, that you know, are into Enneagram, all right, DISC, uh, uh, Myers-Briggs, I think those things can be incredibly helpful. And you can also go off the deep end, right? Like you can get on BuzzFeed or Facebook and figure out what character of friends you would be or what house of Hogwarts you'd be, or if your spirit animal's a bear or a beaver, and it's like, nah, like that, that's just weird. You should <laughs> slow your roll a little bit. But the reality is that knowing your personality type is helpful. I personally use Enneagram, because uh, Enneagram is a helpful kind of gauge on certain personalities. Now, the caveat I give, because I know some of you are very excited about Enneagram, is that Enneagram is not inerrant, okay? In fact, Enneagram is based in some really weird, mystic, like Kabbalah, religion, weird stuff, like it's in some psychology, a psychologist from the 90s grabbed a hold of it and made a test, all right? So those of you that get really excited about Enneagram, breathe, okay? You're not defined by your number. For those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, that's okay too. 
all right? But the reality is, is that you need to know, the, here's why it's important for you to know your personality. It is important for you to know your personality and how you relate to other people. If you don't know yourself, you're not going to know how you relate to others. One of, one of the things that, uh, that I see over and over again is you might have a couple that's, the husband's introverted or the wife is extroverted or vice versa. And, and, and when they get married, one is like all up in the other's business. And she's, you know, she's looking, I mean, she's fueled by other people. And she wants to, you know, she, she, she's uh, hanging out with her husband and wants to hang out with him. And he's like, I, I need some space. Like, I'm introverted. I need some time to myself because I'm not fueled by people. And all of a sudden, you've like, you got some people who are upset with one another. And it's like, you got to know yourself. You know, you're designed a little bit differently. These things are helpful in knowing yourself and how God made you. To know yourself in light of who God is. Another thing that I walked through is the behavioral layer. I walked through behavioral layer uh, with people. This means that you have certain patterns of behavior that affect you in way, affect your heart in ways you don't even begin to realize. How you act matters. I was listening to a, a counseling pastor once, and he was talking about a guy who he was meeting with, and this guy came in, and he, was have, he came in uh, because he was struggling with uh, sleeping. So he got really anxious right before bed, and he couldn't go to sleep. So he met with this guy for weeks and weeks, trying to figure out, they're walking through his heart issues, they're walking through idolatry, they're trying to work through all this stuff. And then finally, weeks later, he just said, hey, what, what do you do right before you go to sleep? And he said, well, actually, I like to watch scary movies. And I watch, I watch scary and horror movies right before bed. And he said he felt so embarrassed because he's like, well, don't. <laughs> you should stop and come see me in a week. And shocker, he found better sleep when he stopped watching horror movies right before he went to sleep. And he, he was embarrassed because he's like, we should have, this should have been something that came up sooner, right? But that happens. We have these behavioral patterns that affect us in ways we don't realize. Some of you are, are, are tired and groggy and life feels hazy. But you stay up late every night playing video games or, or scrolling through your phone. And you're wondering why life is so difficult. Some of you struggle with anxiety and depression and discontentment. And, and you just are so, you, you hate yourself, you constantly are saying, I hate myself, and you're comparing yourself to others. And then if I said, give me your phone, let me see your screen time usage, some of you would have hours on Instagram and Facebook. And the reality is, is those places can be toxic if you compare yourself to others. Because everyone puts their best version of themselves on Facebook and Instagram, their life is awesome. And I look at myself and my life, and it's awful. And it's like, you should stop. You should cut this out of your life. There is a distinct difference, y'all, between taking a book, a good book, going outside in the sunlight and reading it, as opposed to being under your covers, scrolling through Twitter, just getting angry about our culture and angry at people. There, there's a difference there. And if you don't understand your behavioral patterns, if you don't understand how those affect you, you can't actually get to the heart and understand what's happening there. A lot of times it becomes very difficult. So behavioral patterns matter. Also, your relational history matters. This is very much part of your story. Not, not just a, a romantic relationship, but this is friendships. This is relationships with coworkers. This is also is romantic relationships. Some of you have a very difficult time opening up in group and trusting people. And if you go back and you look at your friendships from the past, 
you might find some situations. Maybe you were in a church or a youth group or whatever in one time, and you shared some stuff, and it, and it came back to bite you. You open up some people, and it came back to, uh, it got exposed, and you felt embarrassed, and that happened a decade ago. There might be a connection between your relational history, what's happened in the past, and why you have a difficult time trusting people now. Maybe there are some people that walk away from Jesus, uh, and it's actually become a kind of a popular thing to do now. It's called deconstructing, which is so dumb. It happens on Instagram, and people have they take a picture of themselves out in the, in the mountains and say, I'm deconstructing. It's just like, oh, gosh. Another reason why Instagram's the worst. But when you, when you hear their stories, a lot of times what they'll say is, is that some pastor or some ministry wrecked them. And now they're walking away from Jesus. And it breaks my heart because you put your faith in the wrong person. Don't put your faith in a pastor. Put your faith in a ministry. Put your faith in a perfect Savior. But the reality, that happens, y'all. And if you don't recognize that, if you don't recognize that your approach to church, to the people of God, to, to, to even to God, is affected by churches and pastors and ministries and Christians that have hurt you in the past, you won't actually understand yourself in light of who God is. Some of you struggle from relationship to relationship because you don't actually want to trust someone that you're dating. But if you look at your past, you may have had someone that cheated on you, someone that lied to you, someone that hurt you in your past. And it affects your approach to dating and your approach to marriage. You have to know yourself. You have to know yourself in light of who God is. And a big one where this shows up all the time is family history. When I counsel and care for people, one of the things that shows up the majority of the time is family history. I mean, it shows up over and over and over again. The way that we, the first 20 years of someone's life are absolutely foundational. And as a parent, it is sobering to realize how much of an effect you can have on your child. It took me until I was 30 to realize that some of the sin and idolatry and brokenness within me it's traced back to the fact that I have a complicated relationship with my dad and my stepdad and between the two of them. And I, listen, I had, a, I, had a, I had a great childhood. I loved, loved all three of my parents. But I came from a family of divorce, and there were things that came out of that, and there were experiences that came out of that. And when I was 30, it just hit me, and I was like, oh, man, I've got daddy issues. I never thought I, re I never realized this. But it, mat it matters to actually realize that's a part of your story. You, it, for those of you that had fathers that hurt you, for those of you that, that had fathers that weren't present, or, or you did, your father wasn't even a part of the picture, you don't think that affects your view of God as father? There's an absolute connection there that happens over and over and over again. You have family members that hurt you, brothers or sisters or mothers that hurt you. You don't think that affects your approach to church, family, and the language that we use over and over again? This shows up time and time again. The way that we view God often is affected by the way we were raised, which as fathers should humble us immensely. That, that, that you don't think that, for those of you that, that struggle with approval, that struggle with uh, striving to prove yourself, whether it's at work, or in life that I'm struggling to prove myself, I want to be, I want to be, I want accolades, I want recognition, I want satisfaction. A lot of times that can be connected to the way that you were raised. 
you grew up in a house where you had to have straight A's, where you had to be this, you had to be that. And a lot of times it's not even, I mean, you have really good parents and they make one or two comments. And all of a sudden the enemy just twists it and it becomes your reality. And, and then you don't realize until you're 30 or 40 that so much of your striving and your ceaseless work is to prove yourself to God, to others. When the God of the universe says, you don't have to prove yourself to me. That you're, you're, you're bought and paid for in Christ. When I see you, I see the perfect work of Jesus. You don't have to gain my approval. This matters over and over again. Maybe you were raised in a, in, a, in a home where your primary caregiver was angry. Or, or maybe you were just an animated and excited household. That shows up. Shows up in friendships. Shows up in, in marriages. <laughs> showed up in our marriage. I, I grew up in a house. We're animated and we're intense, which you would never guess if you knew me. Um, but I, did, I, I would get animated and I would get intense and I would be like this. And my wife would be like, why are you yelling? And I'm like, I'm not yelling because she came from a household. That wasn't a reality. Our family history shapes us in ways we don't want to admit. And unless we start to begin to understand that aspect of us, a lot of us are going to have a very difficult time understanding the why behind what's happening deep in our souls. The final layer that I'll walk through is spiritual warfare. Uh, this is something that we as Western Americans are not a big fan of. We are rational thinkers. We don't have a category for spiritual warfare. Right? And in other cultures, you can go to Africa or South America or East Asia. They're a lot more comfortable with the idea of the spiritual realm. That's something they're way more willing to accept. But as West, Western American thinkers, we, we don't have a category. I know I struggle with this. And about four years ago, I was talking with Chet Phillips, and we're working through, I'm, I'm just kind of talking through, man, I have this, this really, this negative feedback loop that shows up in my life over and over again. It's just, you're going you're gonna to fail. You're going to wreck your marriage. You're going to wreck your ministry. And he just said, hey, you know, do you think that's you? Or do you think that actually might be the enemy at work? And as a Western rational thinker, I said, no, I think it's probably me. And then we walk through this process called Freedom in Christ, which is a process of structured prayer where we uh, walk through some of this. And, and I absolutely, well, after walking through that, realized that I had this negative feedback loop in my life that was the enemy speaking, that was reinforcing this over and over again. And since then, I've found a credible amount of freedom to not hear this as much anymore. Have you considered this, that maybe the negative thoughts that enter your mind on a regular basis aren't just you talking? That maybe your anxiety is spiked by lies from the enemy or your depression is deepened by, by spiritual forces of evil or your sexual temptation is made worsened by the evil one. We don't like to think like that, but the Bible is very blunt about this. Ephesians 6, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers of this present world is an absolute reality. And I would argue that you can't actually address what's going on in your soul a lot of times until you actually work through some of this. These are just a few. You could, you could, you could add more layers that surround the heart, but all this affects our heart. It affects our view of God and self. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. 
Each of us have these complex layers that surround our heart, that affect our view of God and our view of self in light of who God is, that corrupt the inner court of our souls. We need to examine them. And we desperately need Christ to help us examine them. We need Christ to help us walk through this. And the final paragraph of C.S. Lewis is Mere Christianity. It's one of his greatest works. He's talking about basically this approach to life where you're focusing on yourself, where you're muscling through life all on your own. And he says this. He says, look for yourself. I mean, this is the focus of, on self. Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. Add depression, anxiety, sexual sin. Sound familiar? Look for yourself and you'll find these things. But he says, but look for Christ. Look for the Christ who had his blood spilt for our sins, who conquered death at the resurrection, who stands at the heavens and reigns as the sovereign king over all eternity. Look for Christ and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. And what he's getting at is, is you don't just find Christ. You find his goodness, his kindness, his faithfulness. You find peace, love, joy, goodness, gentleness, self-control. You find the riches of Christ. It all gets thrown in with it. The reality is if you try to bring change on your own, if you try to change yourself, if you try to do self-care or self-love and focus on yourself, it will not work and it will not last. It is behavioral modification at best. It does not solve the root issue. We need Christ to absolutely change our hearts. And hear this, it's not just exposing the grievous ways within us. It's not just exposing, as the psalmist says, look at the grievous nature of the things in my soul. It's not just that. We need it to be replaced with something better. It's not just the grievous ways that we need to get rid of and the sin and brokenness we need to shed and repent of. We need ways everlasting is how the psalm ends. We need the everlasting ways. We need uh, eternal things that resound into eternity, the only things that Christ can give us. We need that to replace the grievous ways within us. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. We need this. Jesus wants this for you. He wants to care for your soul. Believe that. That the God of the universe, he wants to reveal the grievous ways in the inner court of our soul so that he can begin to heal us and repair us. That's why he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you hear that? Do you hear your chief shepherd calling, saying, come? Are you tired? Are you tired? Are you wrestling with sin? Are you wrestling with brokenness? He says, come. Shepherd says, come to me. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. The God of the universe, the one who upholds everything, holds it all together, says, come. You have cares, you have burdens. I'm here. 
I'm ready. I'm ready to take them. I'm ready to hear them. I'm ready to replace them with everlasting ways. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. You feel crushed? You feel like life is breaking you apart? He says, I'm here and I'm near. I'm ready to walk with you. If you'll come to me, we can take the journey together. That is what our Savior offers you if you're willing to take it. And I also would say, we are willing to walk this out with you. We have four different layers of care in our church. The first layer is community groups. We believe in our groups. Our groups are where we get to live out the gospel together. It's where you get to come in your brokenness and your sin. And you get to share it, your burdens. Galatians 6.1 says, bear one another's burdens. That's what we get to do together. Our groups are where we get to live this out. If you're in a group and you're not trusting the people in your group, if you're not being honest and open, you're missing out. You're missing out on the gospel. The people get to share the gospel with you. As you share your brokenness, someone's going to come in and tell you how good Jesus is and how the Savior is going to meet you there. If you're not in a group and you're wanting this, please do not leave today without stopping by our connect table and getting a group. Our groups are the primary way for where, the primary way in which we care for one another. You are missing out on being cared for if you're not in a group. The second layer that we offer is pastoral care. If you want to meet with us, we are willing. We want to. Come and talk to me. You can go online, you can fill out a pastoral care request, or you can just come talk to me or talk to Chet or talk to one of our pastors. But we absolutely will we'll meet with you. We want to, to talk with you. We want to walk with you. We absolutely are willing to do this. The third way that we offer is a, is a counseling network. So I have met with different counselors across the city and interviewed different uh, counselors and vetted them personally. The reality is, is that not all, not all counselors are created equal. <laughs> There are some very bad ones in our city. And I don't want you to stumble upon one of their doors because you're going to hear very unhelpful things. Uh, I've, I've personally vetted different counselors in the city that I trust, that I, that I, I, mean, I, that I would absolutely say, please meet with them. And, and if you're struggling, if you're like, I don't know if I can afford this, we literally set money aside for this to be able to help you with this. But we, we want you to take part in this. It takes time. Counseling, licensed professional counseling can be very difficult. It's not just finding a good person, it's finding someone you have chemistry with. It's complicated, but we're willing to actually help you walk that out together. The last thing is what we're offering this fall, and it's recovery. In a month, we're going to launch recovery. Recovery is a 10-week process to walk through what we've just been talking about, to walk through your story. To walk through, if you're struggling with anything from depression to anxiety to, addi uh, to addiction to sexual sin, Recovery is for you. It is a 10-week process. It starts September 13th. It will be offered every Monday for 10 weeks. It is a way for you to come and be a part of a structured care process. I walked through it at one of our sister churches. I walked through it at Midtown. A few of us did this spring. And it was so good. Each of us came away. I mean, it was so good for our souls to walk through it. And we've restructured that, that process for our purposes. And we are offering this in the fall. My encouragement to you, if you are walking in through a, a crazy amount of brokenness and sin and struggle, to absolutely come and talk to me about this. There will be information online this week about it. We'll be sending emails out about it. 
but love for you to take part, uh, part in a recovery process. In each of these layers, I want you to know something. Your chief shepherd loves you. He's ready to take the journey with you, and so are we. Matt's going to come up and close us out in a song. And I want you, this song is based out of, uh, out of Psalm 139. I want you to, for a little bit, just listen. I want you to absorb uh, the words and I want you to pray. I want you to pray in line with this song. To ask the Lord to search your heart. Some of you have not encountered Christ in a way that has absolutely changed your heart. You haven't believed in Jesus in a way that's not just knowing things about Him, but it's actually knowing Him. And my hope this morning is that as you hear this for the first time, you'd pray this, search my heart, examine me, know me, reveal yourself to me that I might believe. If you are a Christian, my hope is that you would pray this, that you would sing this, that you would worship, and that today would be a step forward and caring for your soul in a way that you have not experienced. Take a few moments to pray and then respond in worship. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you love us. Jesus, I'm thankful that you are our shepherd, that you care for us, that we get to come to you with our burdens and our brokenness and our mess. And that you get to help us change, but not just in repentance, change to Nothing but we get eternal joy and satisfaction and hope. God, I pray you'd help us see this now so clearly. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.